Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I'm your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and a transformational coach for entrepreneurs, businesses, leaders, and for those who want to break the cycle of convention and redefine success one step at a time. I am on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week we have thought leaders, change instigators and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning, connection, and resilience into your life and your business. This week, I am super excited about our guest. We have the lovely Anahita June. As a feminine leadership mentor and credential spiritual counselor, Anahita June activates the sacred leadership of women who are ready to awaken and unleash the force of nature within, leaving no stone unturned. She holds transformational communities of women leading women doing the most cutting edge work for full expression, pivoting and leveling up. Born during the Islamic Revolution of Iran, Anahita is a modern-day priestess, healer, and medicine woman. Anahita's work is the culmination of over 25 years of intensive study with mystic masters and shamans, social research, as well as over 10 years of her own teaching and facilitation on embodiment and divine feminine. As a 20-year veteran in the field of personal development, Anahita is committed to women living lives filled with love, beauty, pleasure and power whilst harnessing leadership and purpose. Anahita works with women leaders who are up to creating big changes in the whole world while embracing the fullness of who they are. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. So today I'm excited about our guest. We have the beautiful Anahita June. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Hi, thank you for having me, Catherine. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm super excited about unpacking some of these very exciting topics. But before we do that, uh, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So what inspired you to do what you do today? That's a big question, <laughs> but I'll, I'll make it as bite-sized as I can, you know. Um, in terms of my story, I'll just tell you, you know, I was born and raised in Iran. I was born during the Islamic Revolution and spent the first 14 years of my life in the Islamic regime, which I found to be extremely oppressive as a young woman. And uh, it was also the war, you know, the first eight years of my life were the war, so it wasn't wasn't like the wars I've experienced when I've been living in the West. It was like the kind of wars where sirens go off and then bombs drop and maybe your windows shatter and maybe people, you know, die like that kind of stuff. Maybe you die. I didn't, I didn't die. So that was, that was my life. And I was always as a child, I had a relationship with the divine, really God. And, 
it was such a personal relationship and the culture really represented the way to God to be through religion. So I went that way, except every time that I went that way and all the practices and trying on Islam and all of that, I always just found that I was never okay. Like I had to cut off all of these parts of myself that felt so essential to my well-being and happiness to belong with God and to be accepted with God. And specifically, I was a dancer, so I lived in a culture that was very uh, shaming of the feminine expression. So it was like, okay, to dance enough to be appreciated, but don't lose too much sensuality because then you'll be a slut. So this was like the context and the depth of oppression that I was living in. So I felt very split, really. I came to the States when I was 14 and I now had all the freedoms that I'd always wanted, you know, that I had seen in the movies growing up. And I had all the external freedoms, but I didn't know really how to be free. I realized that that to know how to be free was an internal thing. And it didn't matter that now there were no guns, you know, men with guns in the street and there was nobody forcing me to cover up and um, religion wasn't like shoved down my throat. It didn't matter. I still didn't know how to be free. So from that feeling of being split, I set on a journey of healing, really, because I had I also had, you know, sexual trauma and my mother had been gone growing up. I had I had a lot of trauma. So I set on a journey of healing and growth to basically try to put myself together, which is, I think, how we all get here. And somewhere along the way, after I had already, you know, been deep in personal development, had been training to become a landmark firm leader, had gone to a Buddhist university, had been mentored with some of today's greatest teachers and luminaries, I was really in a battle with um, the parts of me that felt the most separate, which was my very erotic self, my very sexual self, and my God-loving self. And I had really internalized a lot of the oppression that I grew up with, so I could not reconcile these. And just through all of the work and really... um, so in trying to reconcile these, there was also a moment, you know, I went was going through a dark night of the soul and I had um, what I can only explain as like an experience of the goddess. The sacred feminine began coming to me and I started to have experiences of the feminine face of God, which was all of a sudden, because I was in a dark night of the soul, I was ready to kind of bail on life, like out. <laughs> um, I started having spiritual experiences, but they were not like the ones I'd had before. And it wasn't with a father. It was with a mother. And this energy was all of a sudden a lot more permissive than the one that I had been taught about or knew about. It it just had a lot more permission for my full self, for my wild self. And so I began a journey into that study and into that inquiry. And a couple of years later, when I was 24, which is now a long time ago, uh, I was guided by this wisdom to uh, become a stripper, (laughs) which I did not want to become. But, uh, you know, I really wanted to be doing healing work with women and I wanted to be mentoring women. And and I was, you know, I was coaching and I was teaching yoga, but I really had this divine guidance at the time to go and dance as an exotic dancer. And the guidance said, you will go and you will claim your freedom and you will send it back to your ancestors. So I spent six years dancing at night and teaching yoga by day and coaching by day and stripping by night and really keeping it a secret because it was still very much a split. I didn't know, I didn't know how to stand forward and not be ashamed about that. I I still had it wrapped up in so much shame. So ultimately, um, 
you know, it was the integration that occurred. It was, it was really owning the erotic, learning how to work with it, how to use it. I was still deep in study, you know, I would dance for like three months and I would go and, um, I would dance for three months and I would go live in an ashram for three months. <laughs> I would dance for three months and I would go get a certification in something, you know? So it was just this back and forth for six months, always wondering when would I stop? When would I stop? And it literally took six years to be able to stand there and not need to hide any part of me, to not need to manage my sexuality or all those parts of me that I thought were too much or too unacceptable or not respectable, whatever, all these stories that I had. So that journey of integration is ultimately what I do now because I learned once I really started, you know, doing the work full time, I saw that, huh, it actually doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter. Not everybody has to grow up in a Middle Eastern country in an Islamic regime. The majority of women feel oppressed. And I got to work with women from all different religions, all different backgrounds who felt whether it was religion, whether it was just sort of the masculine paradigm of thinking or the patriarchal thinking system that just said, you know, this part of you is invaluable. This part is too much. Push this part down, manage this part, less of this, too much of that, you know, that whole conversation. Um, then the work really began, became about teaching women how to reclaim all the parts because it's really there is so much vitality and freedom and creativity and spiritual connection and all of that when we actually stop resisting parts of ourselves so that's the work now and that's where it comes from oh i love that and it's actually drawing me to a couple of uh questions now how do and i totally agree with you with what you you were saying with women um with the whole oppression piece how do we lift that how do we free ourselves from that hmm. that is always the question isn't it mm-hmm. uh, I mean I feel like the first place is really looking at our beliefs and I was sharing this with someone the other day and they they said well what if someone doesn't know how to find out what their beliefs are so it really depends what level of awareness you are at and how much work you've already done a lot of us have already done enough work to be able to know what our beliefs are, some of our beliefs. So if you have enough awareness to know what your beliefs are, then it starts, it starts with looking at the origin of those beliefs. And did they, did they come from a masculine consciousness? Really? Mm. Because that's been the whole patriarchal design has been to oppress the feminine. So I'm, I'm speaking specific specifically to women. However, I know that the feminine in men has been oppressed as well. So for the brothers who are with us, I mean, I'm, I'm really speaking to all of us. So just really looking at the origins of the beliefs. And then if, if it's all, if the origins of all the beliefs are sort of this patriarchal consciousness, this male consciousness that is very focused, like one focused, then that's the place to start questioning. Well, what do I really want to believe? Because these beliefs have become the bedrock and the foundation for the level of freedom we allow ourselves to experience because we internalize the oppression, right? We participate in our own oppression when we don't question those beliefs. We just, we participate. We say, yes, we buy all the limitations and that's sort of where we're operating. If you don't, if you're not at the level of awareness to be able to say, well, actually, Anita, I don't know what my beliefs are, then, uh, yeah, then the, the place I would look at is kind of this exercise of, what is it you really, really want in your life? Like, what do you really, really want? Like, you know, if you, if you wrote down what I really, really want, so it's like this writing exercise, what I really, really want, and you wrote it down and you wrote it down and you wrote it down, 
like the 10th line, the 10th thing that comes out about what you really, really want, then you circle that. And then you start writing for like 10 minutes about all the reasons why you believe you can't have that or, you know, why it's not really yours to be, you know, experienced in this life. And then those are the beliefs that then you want to look at. So then, so it's what I really, really want go deep because it's not the first layer and then circle the 10th one and then why I can't have that. And then you just pull on that thread and go all the way down, write it down, write it down, write it down. And then where did these thoughts come from? What is the origins of these? And then it's, again, it's the same thing. So how can I replace these with beliefs that are coming from a more unified consciousness that's not male or female, but that really is inclusive and holds space for all parts of me? Mm, that's deep. When you think about it, I mean, when I think about patri patriarchal consciousness, that is a program that we've all been programmed for many, 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 many moons. And so when you're talking about... Um, uh, what do you really want? I mean, that's really and un unraveling it. It's really like opening up Pandora's box, isn't it? Because it's it's all these things are going to come out, all these old programs that live in that deeper part of our um, unconscious mind. So, knowing that this is a program and a consciousness, how do we tap into the the feminine or the divine feminine within us? How do we bring that to life? Hmm. I mean, I really think at this point, Catherine, the first step is really learning how to trust it, how to even value it. Mm. Because, you know, we, we have all been living in a culture that has devalued that feminine, you know, the intelligence of the heart and the wisdom of the body has so been devalued. So it's really learning to establish trust. And one of the first places I would say is like learning to make decisions that are not from the mind. I asked someone the other day, uh, we were running a program right now and the, you know, I've been speaking to some of the applicants and I asked her if she knew what a full body yes was and she didn't know. She didn't know what was a full body yes. And it's like, but you know what, you know what I'm talking about, right? When I say that. I do. Absolutely. Sorry. I'm writing yeah. it down. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I know a full body yes is. Uh, yeah. I, I use my body as a barometer. So I yeah. drop into my heart and actually feel yeah. it. Yes. Right. But here's the thing. When you're talking about how do we shift to that, it's like most, so many, I will say so many, don't actually trust that intelligence. And we're all at varying degrees of this. And I will totally confess that I'm still on this journey as well. I'm just a bit ahead of it you know, some other people, because I've been tracking it for a long time and working with it for a long time. But it's like the need to always like analyze and strategize and have it make sense, like in a linear way. And that feminine consciousness is not linear. And it's not always going to make sense to the mind. That's the point. It's just a feeling. Like you said, I drop into my heart and I feel it. It's just a feeling. And it's not always going to have the answers because, you know, people are like, but why? But how? But tell me how. And it's like, you don't get to know how. You don't get to know how, you just get to trust. But it's this, it's so, it's such a different um, language almost, like the language of the heart and the language of the body, it's, it's so different. So that's, that's really the first step is learning how to listen and how to, how to trust. And this is what I'm sharing with you is like when I say I'm on this journey as well, sure, I teach this and I embody it to a pretty integrated extent. And there's places where I'm stretching in my growth and my life where I get wisdom and I'm like, oh, come on. Like, really? 
You want me to do that? No, how am I going to do that? Like, it doesn't make any sense to my mind. And then it's like, whoop. Well, here's a whole other layer of trust, you know, a whole other layer of surrender, a whole other um, degree of embodying trusting this wisdom over the need to know. Mm, I know. And, and that's that, ultimately, yeah. Mm, that's big pace, isn't it, trust? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that's, that's our co-creative power, right? Like for me, at least anyway, I feel like the more I learn to trust that and not need to know, the more I create from a space of magic. And I create like in a quantum way where bigger things happen that don't make sense to the mind and people that I wouldn't have expect come into my sphere and invite me to collaborate or teach or speak on a stage. And it's like, whoa, you know, that wasn't, I couldn't even see that coming. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So I'd like to go back at the start when you were sharing your story, there was the two different um, personality types. Um, archetypes and I know you do a lot of archetypal work I would love to unpack the archetypes um, and and maybe sort of uh, go a little bit deep into some of those Mm -hmm. okay yeah so you know a lot of us know um, archetypes but I always like to just simplify you know archetypes were brought forward by um, Carl Jung really a pretty in-depth body of work and the way that I teach them is really they're energetic blueprints and they're there are infinite energetic blueprints in the universe so so um let me just see how like where I want to begin that feels really good yeah so what I what I've discovered through obviously my own journey but really uh, over a decade of working with leading women women who are in the front in the front or stepping into the front uh, to really make a difference and uh, fulfill on their mission in the world, what I've realized is that there are, you know, sort of like nine to 12 primary archetypes that are essential for us to know how to embody so that we can walk in the world in a way without asking permission to be truly unapologetic, to be truly in ownership of who we are, our power, our full self, have access to our voice, our creativity, command a room, be magnetic, be beautiful, be feminine, yet, yet, you know, like soft, but not intimidating, strong, but not intimidating, soft, but not, you know, too soft, like all of these things, that there are these nine to 12 archetypes that we as women just need to have access to. So we need to have access to these energetic blueprints. And just to go a little deeper on that energetic blueprint, a really simple way to um, explain it is kind of like, you know, we've all met a woman who in our lives, maybe who maybe she had children, but maybe she didn't have children. And even though she didn't have children, you just felt such a maternal energy from her. Like you just want to go put your head on her bosom and just mama, Mm. like, oh, right. So that's a woman who, who holds the mother archetype strongly. So there's ones that come naturally to us, but we actually can learn how to embody much more. We can learn how to embody the muse, which is really the access to our visionary self. We can learn how to embody the siren, which really heals shame around sexuality. We can we can learn how to, you know, embody the mystic, which which is just a, like devotional leadership. We can learn how to embody these different parts of us, even though they're ones that come to us more naturally. And then there's parts that are actually being suppressed because and managed because of the programming, because of what we really bought into. Oh, okay, so this is what you do. You go through school, you go through university, you get your degrees, this is what you do. You get married, you have these children. This is how you get to the top of this. This is how you success here, succeed here. This is how you become respectable. And we play the roles. 
So the more that we play the already established roles, the less that we have access to these other parts of us that are essential. Now, I teach everything through the body. And so like I was sharing with you about my time as, a, as an exotic dancer, I was also you know, teaching yoga and studying Tantra. So I'm really all about, at the end of the day, like life force. And I'm very practical. And so it's kind of like, how can we just be more revitalized? How can we be alive? you know, just alive. How can we be alive? How can we see life in technicolor? How can we be in that vibrancy of life? Well, this is what I discovered is that the more we, the more parts of ourselves that we are managing or oppressing because we thought they were too much or too much of this or too little of that, all of that managing actually takes up a significant amount of life force. So we get tired and we pump ourselves full of caffeine and we push because it's taking up so much bandwidth and consciousness or subconscious bandwidth to suppress these parts. So what I love to explore is where do these archetypes live in the body and how can we bring it online in a way that's connected to the erotic sensual life force in the body because, and then, and then we do the work and then we do the psychological work or like what are the beliefs and what are the, you know, what were the beliefs that were handed down early? How is it manifesting now? How can you begin to go to your edge of comfort so that you're really pushing, you're really stepping into an uncomfortable territory of embodying this archetype so that it stops, so that it starts losing its grip on you. And when that happens, it's amazing how much freedom opens up, like so much. And what I mean by that is the freedom to speak and the freedom to express and the freedom that is the flow of the erotic life force in our bodies. That's ultimately, whether we know it or not, literally, that's what we all want. <laughs> that's what we all want because it's, exact, it's ecstatic. It has intelligence. It has wisdom. It brings with it vision, creativity. It brings with it greater sex, um, all the things. It brings with it everything. You lose weight. Like it brings all the things. So even if we don't know it, seriously, I think that's all what we all want. So, so which ones would be the most common ones that you see that women suppress? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I would say the wild woman is pretty, pretty predominant. Would say the people pleasers, the people who maybe are letting kind of others uh, push the boundaries a bit. And, you know, the wild woman is really um, quite, quite fierce. She has a very keen sense for predatory energy, sort of any sort of predatory or controlling psychology. Uh, she she's very keen. She's she's she has a very deep connection with her intuition, um, and she she just doesn't take any shit, and she doesn't give a freaking freak what anybody thinks, you know. So that's the, I would say the wild woman is definitely a a big one, um, and. You know, it's interesting because I, I've been noticing recently, too, this is kind of a trend in the last couple of years, the mystic, the mystic, which is really um, this devotional being like, there's so many women who, through embracing the work that we do with the mystic, end up coming out of the woo closet. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm one of those. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, so we, you can relate. Oh, absolutely. We were talking about this not that long ago, um, a couple of shows uh, back where... 
isn't interesting. It's like you live a double life, you know, you, you live this totally. life. One person sees one aspect of you, but there's this hidden aspect of yourself. And um, and it's yes. because it was looked upon as, you know, woo-woo. And, uh, and now with all the whole quantum physics and the research and the science, it backs it all up. It's not woo-woo. So now you're starting to see a lot more people coming out of the closet that mm-hmm. have practiced uh this kind of work for you know 20 metaphysics yeah 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 totally i mean it happens all the time you know where someone will have like a woman who has a very large community and you know is really moving and shaking and she's like all of a sudden in the middle of the program she'll say why am i teaching business that's not me Mm. i want to teach about spirituality and creativity so all of a sudden, like she just pivots the whole thing, you know. And, and um, that in itself is scary. Like I'm one of the guests that we had on the show. She went through that, so she was then yeah. pivoting her business, and she she really was vulnerable and opened up and said, "I'm really scared. I don't know what my tribe are going to think of me. I might lose them." Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the thing, right? That's that's the thing because we're all we're so bought in the programming, and that's exactly the thought that you're saying. That's how we participate in our own oppression. Because we're so bought into the conversation that we don't even know what's real when literally, I mean, the woman that I was just talking about, she sent an email to her database, you know, when she was coming out of the wood closet and she said, I talk to star people. <laughs> like, and, you know, people are just like, yes, thank you so much. Like, I so needed this, you know, where, I mean, we're all in the same boat is what I'm saying. Yeah. And we've all bought into the same programming. And so we all, it's kind of like back in like the 60s and 70s when, it was so competitive in the workspace for women. So they almost had to like, there wasn't room at the top for too many of them. So they had to pull each other down to get up there. Mm. It's, it's almost like, like that in that, like, Hey, we're all, we've all been programmed with the same thing. So if we all just go ahead and come out, then it's even safer and it's already safer than it's ever been for women to be fully self-expressed, for all human beings to be fully self-expressed. It's never been safer than it is now. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely a, an evolution that's taken place. And I've definitely seen that in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. You <laughs> Even more, to, yes. Yeah. You talked about people pleasing. I see that. Uh, um, I'm one of those as well. I see that um, quite often in women especially. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about when we were talking about what are some of those most common oppressions, archetypal oppressions. One was people pleasing. How well, the, we, wild woman, the wild woman. The wild woman. woman. And oh, the, yeah, and, right. and how we know what I was saying. How we how we know that someone is oppressing the wild woman is that they're a people pleaser. That's one of the ways where they don't have very strong boundaries um, in terms of just always wanting to be there for other people. Yeah. That's another one of mine, absolutely. So, oh. it, yes, <laughs> I'm relating to this as as you're speaking. And um, so, you you work with the you said there's nine to twelve archetypes. So you've got nine nine archetypes, but then you've got three master archetypes. What are the three master archetypes? Well, these ones came through. They came through because you know, like I said, there's infinite archetypes. There's infinite energetic blueprints yes. that we could tap into, and those three master archetypes came through while I was on a um, dance retreat. At the first dance retreat I went to after the birth of my son, and so I was just in this very, you know, sort of mystical initiation into mother. And I've always, I've always sourced my creativity from my body. So while I was, you know, I don't know, like on the third day of dancing for eight hours. Uh, they really dropped in as 
the frequency that we need to embody now specifically to address the times now. And so one is the sorceress and some people might be more, some people might be more sort of comfortable with the word priestess, but really the sorceress is, um, the priestess is, you know, I, so I'm just saying if you have a hard time with the word sorceress connected to priestess, the reason it came in as sorceress is because, um, the sorceress is the one who has access to the quantum field, who is always creating from a space of magic. She is, and so this is what came through and the way that we work with it is that this is part of how we get off of the grind, off of the hustle, off of the, all of our power comes from our doing space because it doesn't, there's actually more power in the vibrational element that precedes the doing. And so the sorceress is always connected to that. And that's the place, you know, she is in her relationship with source and that's where she's creating from. So it's one of the keys for getting off of that patriarchal grind. Um, what are the other ones? Uh, so the dragon queen, uh, came through really, really fun, but really the one, she's the one who eats fear. You know, she's the one who eats fear, who tames fear, who rides fear and really speaks up for injustice. So another way to, you know, sort of speak to that would be the warrior, the warrior aspect. The dragon queen is specifically a little more mystical. Um, she has more access to that mystical realm. So the dragons being the fears and then she's the dragon queen. So she gets to ride the dragon. So she gets to ride the fears and transmute them and really just like um in service to the greater good a lot of that in service to the greater good so again that was about bringing equality these came in about two years ago now so um and then the other one is the sovereign queen and again this is sort of the one that the sovereign queen is the cherry on top of all of the archetypal work that we do because it's really uh she really embodies the inclusive consciousness the sovereign queen can stand shoulder to shoulder with other sovereign queens. So she doesn't, she doesn't need to be above. There's no hierarchy and she's completely sourced from within. There's a real sense of sovereignty um, in terms of where the thoughts origin originate from, where the beliefs originate from and how she relates and sort of conducts her court. And then she could also then be in relationship with other queens and so there's no hierarchy. So that's just a little bit on those master archetypes. Again, super related to the opportunity now because the world is changing so rapidly. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that, that's probably going to tie into my next question. <clears throat> As we are in these interesting times, I find that these um, what is, it's done, these lockdowns has really brought a lot of people uh, head on with their shadow aspect. And I know you do a lot of the shadow work. So maybe let's unpack that a little bit. What is shadow and um, how do we work with shadow? How do we work with shadow? Oh, I love this so much. Um, <laughs> well, so, you know, the shadow is really the unconscious. And I think it's, it's important to say that it's nothing to be afraid of, you know, because we call it shadow and then it's sort of um, – the uh, uninitiated mind might think that it's like something scary, but it's really just what is not illuminated, what is not in the light of awareness. So it's the unconscious. And again, Carl Jung, you know, referred to the shadow as sort of, what is this quote? I don't, I'm, I'm kind of going to butcher it, but he basically said, you know, 
when the shadow goes um, unnoticed, uh, it will basically create destruction in your life and then you'll call it fate. Because it, it's, it's always going to play out. It's always going to play out. And so it's really the unconsciousness. It's the places that are not illuminated. And so um, it's really, you know, all of the stuff we don't want to admit about ourselves. Really, shame is a, is a powerful access to shadow. I, we do a lot of shame work in, in, you know, when I run the groups, uh, a lot of work around shame. And so that's a powerful access to shadow because it's the stuff that we're hiding from ourselves. And it's hard to be free around something if you have so much shame that you're not even admitting it to yourself. So doing some work around shame can be a powerful access to shadow. Um, any of the lower frequencies of emotion, you know, any place there is jealousy, resentment, guilt. Those are the places where we want to kind of go digging and looking with the intention not to judge ourselves, but to really just to bring light and luminosity to whatever is there and then being willing to be with it, which is often very uncomfortable. You know, it's very uncomfortable. So to just sit there and breathe and uh, feel it and uh, gosh, you know, it's uh, this is why like the shamanic path is so powerful. Um, again, a big part of like the way that I facilitate in my background and training is, you know, working with sacraments, sacred, medicines or uh, even just altered states of consciousness through breath or music you want to get to the point where you are looking at your deepest fear and you don't run away and you're able to sit and breathe and continually expand that's ultimately i think the the magic of shadow work so then so you're saying that once we can identify what is our shadow, whether it's jealousy, guilt, shame, whatever that may be, is to really go within that, feel it and breathe through it as a way to bring light to our shadow? Yeah, to just be in relationship with it. That's really all we can do. The shadow is never going to go away. You know what I mean? The shadow work, it's not like we do shadow work and then we're done. That's right. There is constant, it is constant. I am always like becoming aware Right. The awareness, the, the, again, the illumination of the awareness on the unconscious is all we can ask for. It's all we can ask for. It's not like I'm, I'm going to instantly like, let's say I have an awareness of something. It's not like I'm instantly going to expect myself to not feel that way. But if I can see that there's a little bit of resentment, or if I can see that there's a little bit of jealousy, then, then it is not going to run the show. Because I can see it because my conscious self, my higher self, the one who chooses, the one who meditates, the one who shows up and holds space for others, that one can see it. And so I'm not going to let it run the show. It's only when I don't take the time to look at it. You know, our triggers, our triggers are such a profound, um, profound access to shadow. It's like, um, yeah, it's just that place where we never feel like we're good enough. You know, or we feel like, oh, I just feel like I'm constantly doing something wrong. I feel like you're constantly like, you know, saying that I'm not good enough or I'm not showing up as enough. It's like, great. That's the doorway. The triggers. I mean, I feel like I should actually go into this for a second if that's okay. Is, oh, I would love that. Yeah, because people have such a misunderstanding of triggers. It's like they get upset and then it's like, oh, but like you did this and now I feel like this. And it's like, right. But the trigger by definition means that the trigger is already inside of us. So Catherine, if, if I say I'm upset because Catherine did this, it's actually got nothing to do with you, Catherine. Mm. It's that you did something 
that did a little pokey pokey to the wounds that are already inside of me, the unhealed places that are already inside of me, those are the triggers. The triggers already live inside of me, all of us. And then you came along and you did something and you said something and you poked the bear, the bear of my trigger. And now I'm feeling really mad, uncomfortable. All my unworthiness conversation is coming up. And now I'm saying, it's Catherine's fault. It's all your fault. You shouldn't have done this. And it's like, if we can just begin that journey of self-responsibility to understand that the trigger lives inside of us and anybody who comes along and pokes at it is really just a, you know, sole contributor coming along and saying, have a look at yourself, take some self-responsibility, then, then great. That's all we can ask for. So again, there's such a powerful access to doing the shadow work as well. And that's all, you know, it's like you get triggered. Great. Find out. What is the place inside of me that was already, you know, like, oh, she did this and now I'm feeling not enough or I'm feeling not worthy. Okay. When was, when did that show up in your younger life? When did you not feel worthy and not enough? Let's find that, that, that then becomes like the seed of doing that part of the shadow work. And then you have some awareness. So at least the next time I'm interacting with you and you do the same thing and I start to feel that same discomfort. Now I'm not going to react to you the same way because now I've done a little bit of work and I know, oh, okay. So that already lives inside. So I already know, oh, she, she's poking the unworthy stuff that she poked last time, which is already inside of me and I'm already doing the work. So now I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's all you. You're making me feel not enough and you know, whatever. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I believe that. I think that what, with the awareness, once you become aware of it, it's you brought light to it anyway and then um and it's true the triggers when you have an emotional pull that is and we quite often project our shadow onto others anyway because it's within us so we project uh i think carl young was saying that we project our mother <coughs> and father and and our shadow onto our partner um yes. which you know everywhere yeah, everywhere. We projected everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely, everywhere. But I think it's really important, and I and I to, to, the reason I say this is because I know that my husband and I we talk about this quite often. Is this really mine or is this yours? And and a lot of the times when we're sitting there and having that conversation, the projection comes from within. And so whatever mm -hmm. you're projecting, whatever you're upset about, whatever you're angry about, it, it's it sits within you. Like you said, it resides within you. But then it's how how do we do that deep work? How do we um make peace with that part of ourselves that's that's the question compassionate self-forgiveness okay yeah it's really it's really understanding that we bought into misbeliefs and misunderstandings that 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 that, that the wounding that's there like oh is this coming from inside of me is this coming from inside of you oh, it's coming from inside of me how do i make peace with it well, I understand that that part of me got created and formed because probably five-year-old me or six-year-old me or seven-year-old me or three-year-old me made some decision about life and made some decision about herself that was basically the, the most she had access to make sense of with a three-year-old, five-year-old brain. And so she made these decisions about herself and now this is how she's been moving through life. And so if we can just come into compassion really compassion for ourselves and forgiving ourselves for uh, the misbeliefs, you know, really understanding, Hey, I did the best I could. That's the best I could make sense of as a three-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old, but I forgive myself. I can forgive myself for those misunderstandings. And then really like just feeling compassion for that little one 
who picked up those beliefs. Right, I can see that that was the best you could do, little girl, that that was the most sense you could make out of that very messy situation around you. And so that compassion then becomes a huge part of the healing. Absolutely. So, so what you do is you actually go back into a timeline where you find the root cause of whatever the, that wound is and yes. then obviously then do that, the, the work of um, forgiving and being compassionate. And, um, and do you find that that, ever, that that works just the one time or you're just going to keep working at it until it just subsides? It really depends. I, really, I believe that we all have about three core wounds that we carry our entire lives. And they just become less potent and they leave less residue, but we work with them our whole lives. So sometimes uh, when I've been you know, working with someone, we can do the compassionate self-forgiveness and it, it clicks into place. You know, we, we, have, we create a statement, they're deep in like a guided process, like where the whole group is witnessing and they're going deep into their process and, and they're you know, saying these forgiveness affirmations and it, it, you can see the lift and it, it transmutes in that moment. And sometimes they have to write down that statement of self-forgiveness and they have to say it like a thousand times mm. before it clicks. So it really depends. And just because that even clicks, it doesn't mean that the, that becomes a non-issue. You know, like just to be like totally transparent. So, you know, my mother left when I was one. So I have been working the abandonment thing like my whole life literally my whole life. I'm 41 now and I've been working it since I was 14 and I started on the personal development path. So um, even to this day, to this day, when someone says they need to talk or someone that like I'm kind of invested with emotionally, the first place that my basic self, not my, not my conscious developed self, but my basic self, the part that's uh, all about my survival, the first place that she goes is they're leaving me. That's just what happens. Yeah. But I know, you know, so like I feel the pain and it's like, nope, not picking it up. I'm not picking it up. So let's just look and see what this person is actually saying. And nine times out of 10, they're not saying I'm leaving you. Maybe even more, maybe nine and a half times out of 10, they're not saying I'm leaving you. Yeah. So you were talking that you believe that we carry three core wounds and I think abandonment probably most most people could relate to that one what would be a couple of others that you see that are commonly uh, spoken about or that comes up in your in your work mm, unworthiness not enough not enough not enough not enough not enough not enough I'm not enough I am not worthy and I'm not enough that is such those are I mean those are just very very big things, um, abandonment, like I'm going to get left and, uh, um, support, like I'm not supported. Mm. I'm not supported. I'm on my own. There's, there's really, I mean, there's, we usually each have like three, but these are some like major ones, like unworthiness, not enoughness, abandonment. Um, I'm on my own. There's no support or I'm too much. I'm, you know, like it's, I'm, I'm just always going to be too much. Um, Yeah. Okay, so that's that's just something that sometimes you kind of constantly become aware of and work with. I mean, I know that the unworthiness one has been one of the things that I've been working with through God knows how long, and it yeah. it crops its head up. But at least I'm aware yeah. of it now. Um, yeah. And so does the inner critic. I'd love to sort of unpack the inner critic. What is that kind of? Yeah, like I love fit that. Great. To, to all that's that. so good because we can circle back to the archetypes. You know, the inner critic I believe is is very much connected to the lack of integration of the wild woman. Because 
this is what I was saying, right? Uh, the wild woman has a very keen ability to pick up predatory behavior. Well, what happens when the wild woman is not integrated, we don't own the wild woman, then that predator becomes part of the psyche. She actually, because she, the, the wild woman is not integrated, and if she was, she could pick up the predator, then the predator becomes part of the psyche and she starts going after you. You never finish anything you start. You don't do this, you don't do that. And you know, and then we just like let it take over when all we need to do is actually learn to say no, set some freaking boundaries, be outrageous, get over like needing to be liked by everybody, please. Just, you know, big fat F for that. And like start integrating the wild woman. And then you you learn, this is part of what we teach is actually a big part of it is like how to relate with the inner critic, how to take the power of that the way that that predator becomes internalized away. So the predator says, you never finish anything you start. You say, actually, I finish many things I start, such as this and this and this, you know, or you're such, you know, you're such a bad mom. You, you work too much, you know. Actually, I'm working to provide, I'm a very good mother. I love my child or children very much and I'm working to provide for them. And I just spent, you know, two days doing this and this with them. And they feel, look at them, they are well-behaved, they are clean, they are loving, and they love me, and they're good. So it's really speaking back to that uh, predatory uh, language within. So you're using counteractive, whatever the opposite that the inner critic is saying, you're throwing back the positive. And, and I mean, the, does that, um, is that one of those, when you're talking about we have these things that these core wounds that live with us is is that one of them the inner critic that is constantly because i know with my inner critic i've I've named it and that's how i've been able to work with it but it Mm -hmm. crops its head up every now and then it's not one of those things that sure uh, it disappears i know its voice now yeah well i mean i think we all have the inner critics i wouldn't say it's like necessarily one of the core wounds the core wounds are more about like beliefs about ourselves like they're more like i am statements I am unworthy, I am unlovable, I am not enough. You know, so those are kind of like the core wounds. And then the inner critic, the reason I brought it back is because if you integrate the wild woman, you will get a handle on that inner critic. Like there's no way. And and so much more. And so much more. So I'm just again relating it to the archetypal energy. Mm. So you talked about boundaries. What what archetypal energy does that sit with? again that's on that's why i brought in the wild woman okay yeah yeah that's that she she really you said what are some primaries right everybody has like when we work with the muse there's like stuff around creativity and if you grew up in a household that didn't value creativity and then so you went in like down a path of science even though you wanted to become an artist like you know so that's like the muse energy working with that but the wild woman is is pretty primary like i would say everyone has a breakthrough around wild woman when we're going through it everybody and we do some outrageous things, you know, that, I mean, we do some outrageous things. We, we come into ritual with our menstrual blood. We, we, we do a lot of stuff. <laughs> we do a lot of stuff. Yeah. To get very messy. Yeah. Very, very um, the Wiccans used to do that. Yes. Yes. Mm. But really around the wild woman, it's around um, completely what it is. She's not plugged into the idea of beauty or femininity from the culture at all. Mm. And so she will put her menstrual blood on her face and go walk down the street. Yeah. 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 Interesting. 
So throughout your journey, what has been your greatest lesson learned thus far? My greatest lesson learned thus far, everything is always working out for my good. Everything is always working out for your good. Yes, always has been, always will be. So regard, so so I'm trying to make sense of that. So in other words, regardless of the obstacles or whatever it presents, that's all part of your journey. That's part of the 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 um, working out for your good. Yeah, it's like how I relate to it. So so that's like the belief. So you say, what's the lesson? So the lesson is that my relationship with myself is the source of everything. Right. That's the lesson. That my relationship with myself is the source of everything. How I'm holding myself. How tightly am I holding on to life? How much am I breathing? How much am I allowing? How much fight or flight response am I in? Just around the virtue of like starting a day, mm. you know? So then when I rest, when I rest into knowing I'm enough, because my relationship with myself is the source of everything, when I rest into I'm enough, then I just know everything is working out for my good. Always has been, always will be. And then when I amplify that frequency and that belief, my body continues to relax, my mind continues to relax, and I become much more creative and much more receptive. Yeah, it's that slowing down, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, we've been talking about this on the show for quite some years. That, you know, everything's going so fast, and how do we slow down? And, and then we've been put to a stop. Um, and I don't know about you, but <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I haven't slowed down. I thought I would slow down, but if anything, I feel like we're going faster. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I slowed down for a bit. I slowed down for a bit at the beginning of this COVID thing, but I honestly, I felt very resourced from within myself. So I actually upped my service. I like launched a new program in April and, you know, just things that like on the fly. I was like, oh my God, I'm feeling so resourced. Let's, <laughs> let's serve. Yeah. And um, so I wouldn't say that I slowed too much down until we moved to Hawaii. And then I'm having a powerful initiation with this island. So um, definitely in a sort of shifting my rhythm because I tend to be pretty driven, um, just a driven entrepreneurial mama. And then it's sort of I'm integrating more of this island energy. So it's really interesting right now. Oh, it's beautiful. Like as we were sharing, Kona is, we were going there every year. Uh, Kona is uh, one of those islands that is the best way to describe it. It's alive. And oh, I, know, yeah. I know it's, uh, it's you know, everything is alive, but you really feel it on that island. And it's, um, you know, to the trembles, you know, by, um, you know, when um, the the volcano rumbles to, to just everything around this island. It's just magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm feeling it. Yeah. So as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration is to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. So what would be that one word for you, my dearest? Permission. Permission. I love that. And the last question is uh, that we love to ask a woman of inspiration is to share three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners. That could be three practical exercises for the audience. <sighs> There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you at all. Mother Nature doesn't make mistakes. You are made perfectly in the image and likeness of the sacred feminine. So learn how to see yourself. Spend some time in the mirror, naked, 
breathing, humming, making noise. Yeah, and the body, the body is the access. The body is everything. It's all of the access to creativity, greater uh, pleasure, greater receptivity, greater abundance. It comes, you know, anchoring visions and fulfilling on greater visions and creativity. It comes through coming into the body, learning to live in a spacious, open, pleasured, alive body. So follow your aliveness, follow your aliveness, the aliveness of your body, not the aliveness of caffeine that like rushes the blood from your heart to your head, but follow the aliveness of your body. Be turned on. I got a message from a client today crying, saying, you know, she's shifting direction out of corporate into her own thing. And she was like, I did not know this level of aliveness was available, like crying, crying. Um, and then there was one other thing that wanted to come through. Hmm. Hang on. Let me just track it. Mother nature doesn't make mistakes. Follow the aliveness. And gosh, okay. We'll let that one go. What is it that wants to be spoken now? The too much, whatever you think you're too much of, that's the key. That's the key. If you think you are too intense, if you think you are too soft, if you think you are too bubbly or too, you know, joyous or playful, whatever you think you're too much of, and that's the thing that's needed to be managed, that's your access to living on purpose. So go into that and do the work around that because that's literally the frequency that we need you to embody. The thing that you were told was too much is the thing we need the most. So how do you, so if you, so for example, when you think, um, you are too intense, let's say. Um, so you're saying if that's if you're if you feel like you're too intense, you work too much, you you know too much, whatever that may be. You're saying that's what we need to focus on. That is what we need to what sort I'm, of yeah, access. learning how to yeah, learning how to fully embody it, right? Not it's it's not like if you whatever the too much story is, it's like some people are like, oh, I'm too soft or they think they're too weak. It's like, no, actually that softness is your gift. It's your gift. So just, just allow it, just Mm. be it because we already see you like we already see you, but I can't own it for you. You have to own yourself. You have to be in your own ownership of who you're here to be. So everybody already can see you. Everybody already knows, you know, it's like, I remember when I, when I did my first big online thing with uh, bridging, like, you know, the sacred and the sexual. And it was like, I, it was this big thing because I came from an Iranian culture and I was coming out to my father about my stripping and all of this stuff because I was not going online. But then my community of sort of my coaches, my coach colleagues and like the healers, even though they didn't know the details, when I came out, they were like, yeah, duh. <laughs> like, like we knew that's who you are, even if we didn't know the details. So it's like people already see you. All you got to do is just own yourself because they can't own you for you. Like you got to own it. Then that opens the door to permission. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I always say I'm too sensitive. And uh, mm. I now use that. I use that as my uh, superpower. So I, when I talk about visibility, I'm actually okay with it. Whereas I used to hide that I'm too sensitive and a bit of an, not a bit, a lot of an empath. 
Um, but I use yeah, but well, what a gift, right? That's the gift that other people that other people won't be able to bring in the same way, and we need you to bring it in your unique way. Mm. You talked about visibility. What does that mean exactly for our listeners? How do we become? Visible? Oh, this is yeah. This is a whole thing. This is a whole thing. We could have also started talking about at the beginning. You know, I really teach authentic visibility as part of the work, and I, um, you know, it's just that ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all yearning for connection. This is what I believe. We want to be seen. We want to be seen for who we are, for our gifts for our authentic selves. We really want to be seen and connect from that place. And so uh, there's, you know, what I teach is like a process of learning to see ourselves so then we can allow others to see us. And I do it through colors and psychology of color and clothing and a soul aligned wardrobe. Really, again, what I was saying, like there's nothing wrong with you. Mother nature doesn't make mistakes. There's an opportunity to learn, to see, uh, to see ourselves as free from story, but really seeing our physicality through a greater understanding, a vibrational understanding of what does the color of my eyes mean, my hair mean, what does the color of my eyes mean, how do they dance together, what's the frequency that's coming through me, how can I more embody this, and then using the tool of color and wardrobe to really embody it, then that brings the soul forward, and I believe that's what we're yearning for, deeply, deeply yearning for, to be seen at that soul level. Mm, I do believe that, I do believe that uh, we're all here to be connected and connection is is one of those things that's a number one human need belonging and and that applies in every area of our, our life so i love the way you describe yeah. that thank you so for okay. our listeners where would be the best place to find you well just come on over to anahitajoon.com that's a-n-a-h-i-t-a-j-o-n.com i think you'll have the link there in the show notes with Catherine. so come on over we have free things on the site you can watch my tedx talk which i'll share more about um my journey and what i feel like the opportunity is for us to really come alive and how we live and how we lead and please say hi really please say hi you know that that's really it's really that you can also find me on facebook i'm i'm just there so find me send a friend request i love to know the greater um community of you know just the brothers and sisters so say hello i always want to know i always want to know how you are and hopefully this made a difference for you Thank you, Anahita. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom, your time, your energy. It's been interesting. And we'll have all those links in the show notes too. So thank you once thank again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. Or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you, so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit the subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift, where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katherineplanner.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook 
at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Until next week, wishing you a fabulous day.